0: and everyone else I encourage you to open up your bibles to galatians chapter 3 galatians chapter 3 the title of this morning's sermon is redeemed from the curse now for those of you who are chicago cubs fans or you know of chicago cubs fans you are probably very familiar with curses. (laughs) And one of the more commonly known and talked about curses in baseball was called the Curse of the Billy Goat. The story goes that during the 1945 World Series, a local bar owner named William Sianis brought his pet goat to game four at Wrigley Field. And he did this because I guess Cubs fans are just a little unusual, or life was just very different back then in 1945. But either way, he brings his pet goat to the game, and uh, he even tries to get a ticket for the goat for the game. And due to the odor and the different shenanigans of the goat, it started to bother other fans, and therefore, William and his goat were asked to leave Wrigley Field. And as he was leaving Wrigley Field, he allegedly placed a curse on the Cubs, declaring that they would never win a World Series ever again. They ended up losing the 1945 World Series, and then they went on to continue to lose throughout the years, either due to the curse or due to the fact that they were playing bad baseball. But it all changed in 2016, in the 2016 World Series. And it was Game 7, and I'm watching this game with the two biggest Cubs fans I know, Devin and his dad. Now, I don't really remember why I was there. I was probably just there to make sure no one's car got flipped over or lit on fire, uh, depending on the win or the loss. But I'm there with big Cubs fans. It's Game 7. It's going into extra innings, and it starts to rain and the teams have to clear the field and go into the dugouts. And it's at this point you can just start to feel and sense from the fans that, oh, this is not going to go well. Like they start going through these thought patterns of here we go again. Something's going to mess up this, this win, this momentum we had. The curse of the billy goat is here. It's going to do something. We're going to do something to mess this up. But it was in the dugout that their right fielder, Jason Hayward, gave a speech to the team where he inspired and motivated them to go out and win the game. And they went out, and they won their first World Series in 108 years. And I'm telling you, tears of joy were shed at the Corey's house that night. I've seen some tears at the Corey's house throughout the years, but none more than that night. (laughs) And after the game, they ask Jason Hayward, they they say, what did you say to the team? Like, what inspired the team to go out there and win, win a World Series that you hadn't won in over 100 years? And when Hayward was asked this, what he said was, he said, I just had to remind them who they are. You see, the Cubs had the best regular season record that year. They were the best team in baseball. But as momentum in the game shifted, as the rain started coming down, as murmuring from the fans started to to concern them, they were starting to forget that they were the best team in baseball. And Hayward reminded them. And church, that is my goal this morning. My goal is to remind you of who you are to remind you of who you are, because it can be easy to forget who we are. And it is easy to forget who we are if we don't also remember who we once were. And so this morning, we're not going to talk about the curse of the billy goat anymore. I'll leave that to you after, afterwards. But we are going to talk about blessings and curses and how, because we have all broken the law of God, we all were under a curse. But if you are trusting in Christ, then you are no longer under a curse, but you are under Christ. And if you are under Christ, then you are blessed. And if you are blessed, then you are blessed to be a blessing. And so, if you're going to follow along with our Galatians series here, if you're going to truly understand, receive, and live out the gospel of grace, you have to remember who you were and who you are. In your sin, you were cursed but in Christ, you are now blessed to be a blessing. And so how we'll organize the sermon this morning is first we'll see that we were cursed. We'll then see that we can't reverse the curse or come out from under this curse in our own strength. And then we'll finally see that in Christ, we are now blessed to be a blessing. Remember who you are, church. You were cursed. You are now blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter Um, that was written to the the churches in Galatia. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the relevance that it has for us in our lives. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work powerfully through the proclaiming of your word and through the receiving of your word. Lord, we ask that you would teach us and you would transform us. We know that you have great purposes in store when your word is proclaimed. And so we ask that you would produce good fruit from the proclaiming of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me now, Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul is in the middle of instructing the churches in Galatia that we are justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. He says that those who are relying on the works of the law instead of Christ are under a curse. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 27:26 here, where Moses instructed the people that when they entered into the promised land, they were to rehearse the blessings and curses of the covenant, shouting them to one another from one mountain to the other. And in that list of covenant curses, we see that the people will be cursed for things like idolatry, for things like dishonoring their parents. For things like perverting justice, for sexual sin, for taking bribes, the list goes on and it concludes with the verse that Paul quotes, "Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them." And if later today you want to feel a bit more the weight of the curse of breaking the law, go read Deuteronomy 28. It's it's a bit upsetting and unsettling. I mean, Go, go read the weightiness and the serious consequences that God pronounces on law breakers, which we all were. You see, breaking the law of God is like breaking a glass table. You can't just do it a little bit. You can't just sort of break a glass table. You can't just break it a little less than the person sitting next to you. When you break a glass table, you break the whole thing. The whole thing shatters. And this is what James is talking about when he writes in James 2 verse 10. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You see, you can't rely on your good works and obedience to make you right with God because none of us have been able to keep the entire law of God. And because you have not kept the entire law of God, you were guilty of all of it and rightly deserved to be cursed and condemned by God. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. We were under a curse. A curse is the opposite of a blessing. And there are different examples of curses and blessings we see throughout the Scripture, which we won't get into all the different types this morning, but generally speaking, to bless or to curse is the act of making a binding verbal pronouncement of good or evil on another person. When human beings were first created, one of the first things God did was God blessed them. He bestowed and declared His life-giving power upon them. We see in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Here it is, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's what it means to bless someone. To bless someone is either to give them this good life flourishing power. It's to remind them that they already have this power or it's to point them to the condition where they can happily enjoy this life-flourishing power. For example, we think of Psalm 1, verse 1, where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So to bless someone is, is, is to either to give them this life-flourishing power like God did with Adam and Eve. It's to remind them that they already have this power, which is oftentimes what I do in our benedictions, our blessings as we go from this place. Or is to point them to the condition where they can happily enjoy this life-flourishing power. We think of the Beatitudes and all the ways that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, these are conditions in which we experience this life-flourishing power. And so when I speak a benediction or a blessing over you at the end of our gatherings, I'm reminding you and I'm pronouncing over you this life-flourishing power that you already have in Christ. Now, on the opposite side, that's blessing. On the opposite side, to curse someone, it's the, it's the opposite of blessing. It's to, it, it means to bestow ill effects on someone. Blessing leads to abundance in life. Cursing leads to frustration and scarcity and isolation and death. And breakers of God's law, which we all at some point were, were under a curse. When Adam and Eve sinned and broke God's rule in the garden, curses came down on God's good creation. In order to remember who we are, we have to remember who we were. Because of sin, we were under a curse. And it is by understanding, receiving, and living out that truth that we were under a curse. That actually is a part that will help us understand, receive, and live out the gospel of grace. And here's what I mean. If you don't understand the curse and condemnation that comes to lawbreakers you'll never receive the grace that is offered to you by the one and only law keeper, Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you, have you, really, have you really understood and really felt the weight of the condemnation and curse that was brought on by your sin? Most of you have, but not maybe not everyone, have you really felt the weight of that? You got to, I'm not saying you live forever with the weight of that, but you at some point have to feel the weight of that. Spurgeon once said, if you've never felt the condemnation of the curse, you might be a stranger to his grace. Grace is only really received and enjoyed and lived out if you understand you were under a curse. And if you would have continued in that state, isolation, condemnation, and death was all that awaited you. The Westminster Shorter Catechism answers the question, what does every sin deserve this way? It answers it with the answer, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and the life to come. Grace is only really received and enjoyed if you understand that in your sin you were under a curse. But remembering that we were cursed, it actually should produce some good things in you. It should produce in you both compassion and courage. Compassion and courage. Compassion, because as we seek to live with and love people who are not following God's ways, we are freed from feeling like we need to bring the condemnation or curses upon them because they are already under a curse from God. And as we see people living under a curse as ones who at one point were also under a curse, then we should be filled with compassion towards them. A compassion that wants to help them see the way out from under the curse that they are living under. Remembering that we were cursed, it should produce compassion in our hearts. Remembering that we were cursed should also produce courage in us. This truth that we were cursed should cause us to now have the courage to be able to stand in the midst of people who curse us, who hate us, who persecute us because we love God and follow his ways. There will be people who hate you because you love Jesus. You must understand this. Kids, you must understand this. There will be people who hate you because you love Jesus. Courage is one of the Christian virtues that we need more of in in order to be a blessing to those around us. Being polite, I know many many of us as parents, we train our kids to be polite and have good manners, and those are good things to have, and it's good to be polite, but how much more do we as Christians need to have courage? Are we training our kids to have courage? Like just being polite, that might have gotten you through being a Christian in the 90s, but I'm not sure about the next 10 or 20 years. We need courage. And so kids, you must now, as kids, seek opportunities to grow and develop your ability to be courageous for Christ. And parents, you must be looking for opportunities to help your kids become courageous courageous for christ to feel some fear in a situation and yet still be able to move forward because you are trusting christ and so let us put more and more examples in front of one another's faces through biographies or stories or just through godly men and women putting good courageous christian examples in front of one another that we can see and follow their example we don't need to fear verbal or physical assaults because Jesus told us that persecution is a condition by which we experience even more blessing. Matthew 5:11 says, "Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad." For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, when you remember that in your sin you were under a curse and you were condemned by God, you remember that. You remember that. That was really the only curse that could harm your soul. But if Christ has brought you out from under the curse and into his blessings, Then even if you are cursed and hated by men, even if you are made fun of, left out, imprisoned, or martyred, you can be of good cheer and be courageous because Christ has already rescued you from the only curse that could ultimately harm your soul. It is having both compassion and courage that will equip you to do as Jesus taught in Luke 6. 27, and 28 when he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. I mean, talk about an impossible command from the Lord. (laughs) if not for the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us both compassion and courage. The only way you can bless those who curse you is if the truth of who you were as a lawbreaker before God has filled you with compassion and courage. Remember, you were under a curse. But now how does one come out from under the curse of the law? How does one break the curse? How does one reverse the curse? How does does one turn the curse into a blessing? And here's where we need to see that we can't reverse the curse in our own way, in in our own strength, which is what we initially always try to do. We try to do it apart from God's ways and God's will. And this is The main problem that got us into the predicament that we're now in, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden are told to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, and yet it looks good to them. It looks good. It looks like a blessing to them. And so they grab for a blessing apart from God's will, and it results in curses for creation. God's good creation was frustrated. Scarcity, isolation, and death entered in because his image bearers sought blessings on their own terms. And the same thing happens today. Look back at Galatians 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Church, we cannot reverse the curse in our own strength. God's word says that it is evident. Verse 11, it says, now it is evident, or it is clearly seen. It's clearly seen and observed that no one can justify themselves by doing the law. For the righteous shall live and shall always and eternally live by faith. Now, he quotes here from Habakkuk 2, uh, verse 4, lest you think that faith is a New Testament thing and works are an Old Testament thing. This whole righteous shall live by faith thing that's quoted in Galatians and Romans and Hebrews, it's quoted from Habakkuk. And Habakkuk lived during a time where God used the Babylonians to carry out his discipline and judgment on his people. And Habakkuk can't understand how the Lord is punishing Israelite unrighteousness with a nation that was even more unrighteous than they were. Like, someone make sense of that for me. How is that just? How is that fair? God, I'm confused about your justice here. I'm looking at this picture, and it doesn't seem right. And God comes to Habakkuk, and God encourages Habakkuk to not judge his justice just quite yet but to wait patiently for him to finish his work. You see, when we observe all the effects of the curse, when we see all the suffering and isolation and the scarcity and the death that we see in this world, we get a little impatient with God, don't we? We get a little confused with God. We like to take a snapshot picture of the way things are right now and look at it and say to God, this doesn't seem right. And what God answers Habakkuk with and what he answers to us is, the righteous shall live by faith. And the righteous who are living by faith don't take a picture of the way things are right now and judge God by it. The righteous who are living by faith believe that God is not posing his creation for a picture for us to take. The righteous living by faith believe that he's working through his creation to paint a beautiful mural, and he's not done yet. I mean, have you ever seen an artist painting a mural, and while they're in the middle of it, you can't really tell what they're doing? It looks a little weird. It might even look bad to you. Is this even art? Like, why are you putting those shapes there and those colors there? And that doesn't seem right at all. But then... A master artist brings it all together to make this glorious work of art. Do you look at the world like a picture or like a painting? The righteous live by faith even when the painting looks bad because they know God's not done yet. God's not done yet. Those four words, God's not done yet. Those are four words every pastor and every future pastor in here need to know, which I believe we've got a bunch of. And 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 in fact, every Christian needs to know those four words because people love to look at the snapshot of how things are and question God through questioning pastors and other Christians. And there might be more that you need to talk through with each person as you as you prayerfully discern what their real concerns are. But someone living by faith can give a really simple, short answer to those complaints about about god and the answer is god's not done yet god's not done yet but i mean how how is it right of god to use a wicked nation like babylon to carry out his judgment on his people how is it right of god to use a wicked nation like rome in the first century to carry out his judgment on his people How is it right of God to allow fallen angels of darkness to carry out chaos and destruction in his world? How is it right of God to put lawbreakers under a curse and for him to frustrate his good creation and for him to allow suffering and scarcity and isolation and death? And we can feel that tension and instead of trusting God, instead of trusting in the fact that he's not done yet, Many times we instead want to take things into our own hands. And what we end up doing is grabbing a counterfeit blessing that ends up becoming even a greater curse for us. We want to get out from under the curse and take blessings, but we do it apart from God and his will. And so, for example, this is a, this is a temptation for young adults or for teenagers We see the blessing ahead of us of of adulthood. We see the blessing of freedom and autonomy and self governance and being able to decide what we do and when we do it. And that looks like a good blessing to us. But we wrongly reach and grab for it apart from God's will and God's way. We wrongly think that we can grab and take that blessing uh, by dishonoring our parents by shedding aside all the authority that God has placed in our lives. And when we do, we only find that that results in actually less freedom and less autonomy than we already had. If you want the blessing of living as a fully free, autonomous adult, grab for that blessing according to God's will. If you want the blessing of autonomy, you must reach for it while honoring God's authority. Honor God, honor your parents, honor the governing authorities, Honor your church leadership, and in many cases, you will be blessed with all the freedom you could ever want. But if you try to grasp for it apart from God, I mean, in some cases, you'll, you'll honestly, you'll have to check in with your parole officer to see what you can do later this week. It won't result in more freedom. Or for example, if you want the blessing of sexual pleasure that is experienced in marriage, but you reach for that blessing apart from God's will, watch out. That will be a counterfeit blessing that will turn into a curse for you. It will lead to isolation and the death of many marriages and households and your ability to even enjoy physical intimacy at all. But if you reach for that blessing along with God's will, to reach for an excellent and godly life for exa- uh, wife, exa- for example, like Proverbs thirty-one ten says, then you will be blessed beyond belief. An excellent w- wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. I jumbled my words there, getting kind of flustered, <laughs> thinking of Brit being right there. <laughs> but if you want the blessing. And if you want more blessings, if you want, for example, the blessing of being right with God, but you reach for that blessing apart from God's will, you need to watch out. It's a a counterfeit blessing that turns into a curse. Church, the only way to get out from under the curse and into the true blessings of God is through Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Nothing you grab for will get you out from under the curse other than Christ. This is what Christ came to do. Yes, remember who you once were, but now remember what Christ did. Look with me now at Galatians 3, verse 13. We're getting to the good part here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ was cursed and condemned for us, for us, in our place. We should have been the ones cursed. But Christ became a curse for us. I mean, what kind of, what kind of God is this that would do that? Paul, Paul quotes here from Deuteronomy 21 when he says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In Israel's civil law, when someone was sentenced to be executed, it was typically by stoning, typically by throwing rocks at a person till they died. But then after they were killed, that person would be hung on a wooden stake or on a tree to symbolically show that this person has been divinely rejected and cursed by God. And this is why so many Jewish people had so much difficulty in accepting Jesus as the Messiah. They couldn't understand how the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, could be cursed. They thought he was supposed to be the blessed one. In the first century, when the gospel was proclaimed, unbelieving Jews would yell, Jesus is cursed. Jesus is cursed. He was hung on a tree. He's cursed. He can't be the Messiah. He's cursed. But here's what they couldn't see and when you can see it take heart god has given your has opened your eyes and given you faith. Jesus was cursed not because of any sin of his own for he was the spotless lamb of god. But no he became a curse for us. He took the divine wrath and curse that we deserved. So that Everything Adam and Eve undid could be undone. You see, Jesus did ascend to the throne, but before he got to the throne, he had to redeem his people from the curse first. Second Corinthians 5.21, which let's, let's leave this up on the screen for a little, little bit here. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, read that to yourself for a second and let that sink in and make it personal. Make it personal. For my sake, he made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. For my sake, he made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. Remember who you were. You were cursed. Remember what Christ did. He became a curse for you. So that now in him you could be blessed. Remember who you are now. And if you are in Christ, you are blessed. Christ became a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's what the word says. Well, what's the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham coming to the Gentiles very concisely is justification by faith alone, right? Being justified, declared right by faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The blessing of Abraham coming to the Gentiles is the indwelling Holy Spirit. We now receive into our lives the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of, the Abraham, of Abraham coming to the Gentiles is now the promise that through Christ, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And you know what? God blessed Abraham for one of the same reasons that he has blessed you and he has blessed me, and that is he blesses us to be a blessing. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, but it's such a true and good phrase to remember. It was never supposed to stop with Abraham. The blessing was never supposed to stop with Abraham, and it's never supposed to stop with you or stop with me. Who, we who once li- were living under the curse, we have been justified and declared right with God. We have been filled with the third person of the Godhead who makes us into now a new creation. We have now been given the name of Christ and the message of Christ to proclaim and bless the nations with. And isn't this church, let me re- remind you, Franklin City Church, isn't this even our, the third part of our mission statement, that we exist by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to behold God, to build up the, the body of Christ, and to bless the city and the world? But some of you have forgotten who you are, and you're living like who you were. You're living in self-pity and despair as if you're still under the curse and not under Christ. If this is you, you need to be reminded today that Christ became a curse for you. That is not who you are anymore. You are, in fact, blessed. So take heart. Be of good cheer. You are blessed in Christ. Others of you, you know you're blessed. You've just forgotten for what purpose you have been blessed. Your pride and your arrogance and your self-righteousness and your greed has caused you to forget that you have been blessed to be a blessing. And you've hoarded up all the blessings of God that he's poured out into your life, afraid that there won't be enough to get you to the end. But look at the picture that Jesus paints when he describes what a believer who is blessed will be like. And this is found in John 7, 37 and 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. You who are no longer under the curse but under Christ you've been blessed so that wherever god puts you each and every day out of your heart can flow rivers of living water to bless those around you well how do we how do we bless those around us well we can bless others by sharing the gospel with them with our words and by demonstrating the gospel to them with our lives we can We can be in step with the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit just overflows from our life and refreshes them, that they would be able to taste and experience true love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can bless others by opening up our homes and our dinner tables to them and, and sharing lives and our, our lives and meals with them. I mean, under the curse, people live in isolation from God and one another. They live in loneliness. But under blessing, people live in community. People live with one another. We can bless people by just opening up our homes, welcoming them in. We can bless others by giving to others our, of our time and of our finances, of our energy. We can encourage those who need to be encouraged. We can weep with those who really need to weep. We can rejoice with those who are ready to rejoice. We can pray for them. We can even speak a blessing from God to them. Isn't this what we do at the end of most of our Sunday gatherings? I give a a benediction, a blessing from God's word to you. This way of blessing, it's a a form of a prayer. Mainly in prayer, we have our attention primarily directed towards God, speaking to him and receiving from him. A spoken blessing is a little bit different. It's, It's coming from God, but it's then directed toward others. When we bless, we should be seeking God's blessing to flow through us and out to another person. And yes, many times I'm the one here that gets that opportunity to do it with you all, but you all can pray blessings over one another as well. Now, people can get a little off track with this, okay? Uh, when they speak blessings that aren't in accordance with God's will, when, they, when they're speaking blessings and trying to bring about Lamborghinis and things into people's lives, okay? So I, I admit this can get a little weird and, and can get off track when some people do it. But if we're keeping our blessings in line with God's word and God's will, then this is something we should absolutely be doing, which is why typically our benedictions here it's here. It's directly from the word or it's based upon the word that was preached this morning. But this is something that more than just the pastors here can be doing. Parents, this is something that you could be doing with your kids. It's something that I've, I've not been consistent with, but I want to start doing it a bit more consistently. I consistently pray with my boys, but there have been occasions uh, uh, where I have said a, a blessing from Scripture over them. And I've read from fathers who have done this as their, as their kids have grown up, even into adulthood, and just what a sweet time and way to instruct and guide your child and their future and speak God's blessings over them, just to to hold their head, to put your hands on their shoulders, to look them in the eyes and say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace you can go bless others with these blessings. I want the river of life that's flowing out of my heart, I want that to flood my boys' hearts as well. And I want to pray over them, and I want to speak over them every blessing I can find in God's Word. And so if you want to get into this practice, I mean, it's it's very simple. You can Google search uh, Bible verse benedictions, and you'll, you'll, you'll get some, some ideas. Uh, Truth78 puts out a book called A Father's Blessing Guide. They also have an app on your phone you can put on called A Father's Blessing App, and it has listed there just all the scriptures that would be appropriate to pray blessings over your kids and over others. Church, we are here. We are here in this city at this time And we have been blessed to be a blessing to this city and to the ends of the earth. And I realize that as we're out and about at different parks or or at different events, it can be uncomfortable sometimes to bring up spiritual conversations with those that are outside of our church. But get this, we, we still live in a culture where most people, if you were to ask them, can I pray for you right now? Most people would say yes to that. Most people would say yes, and not just like, can I pray for you someday, or can I ask my pastor to pray for you, but actually like, right now, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Most people are not going to be offended by that. I know there'll be some exceptions, but most people are going to say yes to that. If you just said, hey, can I pray for you, and can I pray a prayer of blessing over you? We always struggle with, like, what do we do with people that we don't agree with, or we don't affirm their lifestyle, or we don't know about this sin they're in. Can you pray for them, and can you pray God's blessings on them? Church, you were blessed to be a blessing. How can you bless others this week? Ask the Spirit, even right now, in the quietness of your heart, how can you bless others this week? how can you unleash the living waters that God wants to flow through you this week? Just like the cubs in the face of the billy goat curse as momentum in life and in our culture shifts, as the rain comes down figuratively and literally in your life, as murmuring signs of the curse are popping up all around you, may the Spirit remind you today of who you are. Remember who you were and see the compassion and courage that will rise up in your heart. Remember what Christ did And live by faith that God's not done yet. And remember who you are. You are blessed to be a blessing. Let's pray.